Hey, uh, so glad to see you all here tonight. Um, so glad to be able to worship with you. Um, I got, we got a good word tonight. It's a really, it's, it's a good word, not because it's from me, but I can honestly tell you on Tuesday morning, Nick, um, Andrew, and myself were, were sitting in our office, and I, and I brought up this topic of what, um, they said, what are you going to talk about, Jake? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about this, and it was, uh, it was going to be Joshua uh, 7, so we we're going to continue with the story of Joshua, and I, and I continued to talk about how, you know, the message that I was going to bring, and then we continued to talk, we continued to talk, continued to talk, and this whole message that we're going to, that, that I'm going to preach tonight is our conversation that we had on Tuesday morning. And so literally, my, our, my preparation was Tuesday morning conversation with Nick and Andrew. And, um, and I think Holy Spirit was there too. He was directing our, our conversation. So it wasn't all us. And so just to say that, that really shows the dynamic of our, of our team. It really shows the dynamics of, um, of the unity and the friendship and the trust that we have in each other. And um, I'm just so grateful for them and, and grateful for our whole team. Um, before we get started tonight, though, um, we're going we're gonna to be taking our offering. We had shared the, the announcement last week, and we even shared it on our Facebook page about how we're doing um, our, our big give um, tonight. And all the offering, all the money, all the giving is going to go towards um, the Grand Rapids Dream Center. We're, we're teaming up with them again, and um, we're going to be sponsoring a family for Christmas. So we're going to um, collect this, this offering, and then we're going to take all the money and we're going to sponsor a uh, family of six. And we're, tomorrow, um, I'm going to go out and I'm going to shop for them. And then I'm going to wrap the gifts, but my wife probably won't let me because she loves wrapping Christmas presents. She's very picky. My, my edges just aren't like as crisp, and so she doesn't let me wrap. But I think I'm a pretty good for a guy. I've seen Eric wrap, and he's just like wrap. Not like wrap, but, but wrap. <laughs> He's, he's terrible at both. Um, so the, the, the giving tonight is going to go to sponsor that family. We need $300 in order to sponsor this family of six, but anything above and beyond that, we're going to be able to sponsor more and more families. We're going to be able to give more and more. So what I ask that you, ask that you do is just kind of just search yourself and say, do I want to be a giver um, in this time of year? And if you're giving to other things, we don't, we don't want to pressure you into giving, but we do want to give you an opportunity to team up with us and to do something really, really good um, for this Christmas season. So would you just pray with me? Dear God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the Grand Rapids Dream Center, for their heart, for the city, and for their heart, for people, and for their heart to go into the world, to go into people's homes and to just share the love of Christ with them. We just thank you for the opportunity to give so that we can be a blessing, so that we can show the love of Christ in a real way to real people. So we just love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture says, go into all the world and make disciples. There is a need for God's love all over the world, but God's love isn't just on some other side of the planet. It's right here in our communities and in our city. We go into neighborhoods and into the community, to people's homes, meeting places, and we go and we meet people. We get to know them, we build relationships, they get to know us. 
It has been a tremendously beautiful thing and just the power of serving and how can we walk alongside and just be a help. The whole hope of it all is that God's love would be poured out, but not that it would just stop there, not that they would feel the physical love that day, but that they would feel the love forever. And how does that happen? It's when salvation comes into their life. And it's amazing because uh, that's our whole goal, is that not only would they feel love for one day, that they would feel love for, their, for eternity. We're in a time, in a place, in a culture where people don't want to just hear the gospel only. They want to see it, and they want to feel it, and experience it, and it really produces somebody knowing the love of Christ and, and, and knowing God. Thanks so much, guys. Um, we'll be posting pictures and stuff about um, the family that we're sponsoring and all that, so that will be to come. So I mentioned it, but we are on Facebook Live. Did you guys know that? No? I'm pretty excited about it. I got it up right now. Um, Trayvon just commented. He says he's watching online. What's up, Trayvon? It's kind of cool, isn't it? You get to people comment. Ryan Peters is watching. Hey, Ryan Peters. So if you're watching, I might even call your name out, so watch out for that. Um, so I was sitting in worship over here, and, and I want to bring up a verse. It's, it's Philippians 4, 12 through 13. And um, it's probably one of the most common verses. It's probably one of your favorite verses. She just knows it. So for, oh, I want to go with Philippians 12 um, first. It goes, for I know what it means... And this is paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. I don't have it memorized like her. I know what it means to live content with little, and I know what it means to live with much. So I've learned what it means to be content with little, and I've learned what it means to be content with much. So I assume the, the, writer, the, the, the readers of this are like, oh my gosh. He's learned how to be content with little and much, and he's going to tell us how to do it. He's going to tell us how to do it. And what he says is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I'm like, I know that. I know this verse. And we, and we use it a lot, but not when it's talking about being content with little and being content with much. It's always in a different context. But I really, in worship, that verse came to my mind and I started thinking about it. I can do, so what's the secret to being content in all situations? I can do all things through Christ. So this is like, a, this is like, it hit me. It's like, a, it's like a, a small change in my thinking. It's a small change in the focus of the words. And I don't have it on the screen. I wish I did. I can do all things through Christ. So that means whatever I'm doing, I can do it through Christ. That means whatever I'm doing, I don't have to do it through myself. So Paul's saying, if you want to know what it means to be content in any situation, never live through yourself. If you want to know how to be content no matter what happens, learn to live through Christ. 
and he will strengthen you. So it's less about I can do, I can do all things through Christ. The, the epiphany is I can do all things through Christ. That there's nothing in my life that is outside of me doing it through him. Are you following? So whether I'm in church, whether I'm at home, whether I'm in my bedroom, whether I'm at work, no matter what I'm doing, I can do it through him and not through myself. I don't know. It was like, it was like, I was like, whoa. And I hope you're like, whoa, you might just be confused, but that's okay. Maybe it'll hit you later. And that has nothing to do with my message, but I just wanted to share it with you because it was so good. So we're going to get going. Um, so when I was in college, I, uh, <laughs> I worked at a daycare and, um, so when I worked in the daycare, well, first of all, I got all creepy looks from all the guys that were like, why are you working in a daycare? And then um, I had some women who were like, oh my gosh, that's so cool, you work in a daycare. And then I had um, other people who were just really confused on why a guy would work in a daycare. <laughs> and so anyways, I, I worked with the, um, so I was going for elementary education, so I wanted to build up my resume. And so I went to this daycare and I was working with like the, the kindergartners and the preschoolers, the four or five-year-olds, not that creepy, okay? And, but then occasionally they would be missing some um, workers or somebody wouldn't show up for work and I'd have to go help out in like the two and three-year-olds. Man, I'm not gonna lie to you, it was, it was so much fun. I have so many funny stories from <laughs> two and three-year-olds. Oh man, anyone who works in a daycare, anyone working in a daycare, amen, oh my gosh. The stories are endless. My favorite story, this I wasn't planning on sharing. So these kids were playing hide and go seek, right? So they're playing hide and go seek, and this kid has a great idea, I'm gonna go hide behind the coats. So they're all hanging up on the wall. So he's like hiding behind the coat, like this, hiding. The kid goes, found ya, and he goes, he just knocks him right in the face. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, buddy, you can't punch people in the face. <laughs> like, oh man, it was terrible. It was, it was terrible, but it was funny. Um, Bobby says, could you please explain the sweater at some point? Um, I don't know what there is to explain. It's a Christmas sweater with soul men. It's wonderful. Nothing compared to Nick's sweater. So, where was I going? Okay, so I was at the daycare. And there was at one point where I was down with the two and three-year-olds. And, and we were going, and we were going to snack, right? So it's like the best part of the day. Um, so we're going to the eat snack. And we have this little boy, this blonde-haired boy, who always has a bunch of boogers in his nose. I'm like, dude, do not touch me. So then he, we're going outside the door. And right to the right, there's a hallway that leads to the door to the playground. Okay? So we're walking out. All of a sudden, this little dude just starts darting down the hallway. It's my like one of my first days working with the two- and three-year-olds. So I'm like, you can't go outside. Like I said his name, and you can't go outside. So he's like running, and then I say, can't. he freezes when he hears my voice, turns around. I, I never speak with a mic, so bear with me, okay? He turns around, and then he keeps going. <laughs> and then he gets to the door, he's like pushing on it, you know, like pushing, and you know, I walk over and I grab his hand. First I check if he has boogers on it, and then I grab his hand, and then I, you know, I walk him back. 
And so I was, I was like, this did, why wouldn't this kid listen to me, right? And then one of the teachers, or one of the people who had more experience working with the two and three-year-olds, told me something. She said, young kids do not or cannot comprehend negative commands. Does that make sense? So when you tell a two or three-year-old you can't do something or don't do this, their brain cannot comprehend what it means not to do something. So if you tell a kid, don't jump on the bed, he's going to look at you and, and continue to jump on the bed because he doesn't know what it means to not do something. The only thing he knows or comprehends or he or she is what to do, not what not to do. So when you're directing a two or three-year-old, guys, this is for you because women naturally have this instinct to, to know this stuff. So when you're, when you're directing a, a young child, you want to say, turn around. Or you say things like freeze, or you say things like drop the toy, or you say th directive commands. Does that, does that make sense? And so they can't comprehend this idea of a negative command. They only comprehend direct statements or direct commands. And I was thinking about this and I said, huh, I wonder if that relates to us Christians at all. but the opposite. I wonder if that relates to us. We'll get back to that later on. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha. So the title of the message for tonight is Fix Your Focus. Fix Your Focus. Hey, John, he joined. What's up? Fix Your Focus. So tonight we're going to be focusing on two words. So there, our focus is going to be on two different words tonight. And my question to you, my question to myself is, which word of these words that I'm gonna that I'm gonna reveal here, which word is more common in your thought process? Which word is more common in your vocabulary? Which word can you define? And which word are you kind of like, I don't So my first word is righteousness. Can you guys see that okay? So my first word is righteousness. Do you know what it means? Do you know how to get it? What's more common to you? What's more common to me? Is righteousness more common? Or, oh, that was upside down. <laughs> or is sin more of a common word for your vocabulary? Which one's more common? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to participate. Who would say sin is more common? Who would say righteousness is more common? Liar. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you, man. Which is more common? Which one is more part of our thought process? Which one do we love to talk about? Which one do we love to focus on? And which one do we have no idea what it means? So we're going to talk about that tonight. Fix your focus. What is our focus on? Is our focus on sin or is our focus on righteousness? 
Where is our focus? So I guess we can start with what is, I think we all know what sin is. It's pretty easy to define. It's, 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 it's going against God's desires. It's turning away. It's disobedience to God's heart. It's, it's a lot of things. We, we don't need any help with sin. We're pretty common with it. We're pretty, we're pretty knowledgeable of what sin is. But righteousness, what is righteousness? Hmm. So there's some, there's some nice uh, definitions that we get from, from like Bible dictionaries and, and all that good stuff. But righteousness, I asked Siri this morning what righteousness was, and surprisingly, she gave a pretty good answer. She defined it as right standing with God, pleasing to God. So what that means is that he is pleased with the condition of your spirit and that when you stand in front of him in your spirit, he sees no sin. Righteousness. But how do we define righteousness now, right? Like how do we as humans logically thinking, how do we define righteousness? And when, when I think about righteousness, I think most of us would think of it as doing something righteous. Or it would be doing or obeying God's commands. Or it would be doing good more than we're doing evil. So who is a righteous man? A righteous man is someone who does good more than he does evil or more than he sins. That defines a righteous person in our minds, right? Wrong. Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Romans 3, 20 through 22. <laughs> Pay attention, guys. This is good stuff. You're not going to want to forget this. Romans 3, 20 through 22. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Nobody is righteous based on what they do. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. We're figuring out what this thing is now. We're figuring it out. What is it? To which the law and the prophets testify. Focus in right here. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. What this verse is saying is that you, as soon as you believe in Jesus, as soon as you say, I'm following him with my whole heart, as soon as you say, I, I, I admit that I've sinned and I want to follow Jesus, I want to do it God's way, as soon as you say that, he says, I'm giving you my righteousness. And there's nothing that you can do to increase your measure of righteousness. There is no obedient act. There is no prophecy. There is no miracle. There is no nothing that you can do to increase this in your life. Nothing. It is by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So I say, where's the disconnect? <laughs> so righteousness is not about what you do. It's based on faith. 
how come sometimes I just don't, I just don't feel righteous? Anybody with me? How many of you just like, when you look at yourself in the mirror, the first word or righteousness is not the first word that comes to mind. It's not for most people. This might be a better description of what we think. Sinful, falling short, unpleasing to God. My question is, why are we feeling that way? Why are we feeling that way? It's because, and this is what I think, it's because we really know or we really understand what that thing is and we have no idea what this is. Why do we feel that way? It's because we're not focusing on Romans 3.22 that says righteousness is given to those who just believe in Jesus. And here's the deal. We have to start focusing on, a, on something different. We have to stop focusing on our sin. We have to stop focusing on the things that we fall short in. We have to stop focusing on the negatives. We have to stop focusing on where we're weak. We have to stop focusing on this because where your focus is is often where your future will be. If you focus on sin, you might get rid of some of it, but there will always be more that comes up and it'll always push you into condemnation, into fear, into guilt, into shame, if you keep focusing on that. But if we focus on this and we say, man, God really is pleased with what he sees. And even though I might fall short, he still is pleased because there is nothing that I can do to increase my capacity of righteousness, which means it's a level playing field, which means when I fall short, I'm righteous. What it means when I go high, I'm righteous. What it means no matter what happens, he's not changing his view on me. He's never changing his view, no matter what, if I go and I do something crazy, if, if, if I'm in the bars, if I'm getting drunk, if I'm having sex, if I'm looking at porn, and I'm not saying those things are right, and I'm not saying that we can continue to do those things, but what I'm saying is, is that when we focus on just stopping those things, we will always continue in those things. What's the chief end of man? Does anybody know it's like a common phrase? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him, anybody, forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we say. What I, what I find in most, in the Christian culture is that the chief end of man seems to be how much sin can I avoid? And it's twisted thinking should, because it should become how much of the person of Jesus Christ can I become? How much of this righteousness can I get inside my life and display it for the world? Because it's in here. It's in you, 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 it's in me. It's in here. But what we refuse to acknowledge will never come into existence in our life. If we focus on this, we'll get that. If we focus on this, we might get somewhere. We might get somewhere. Righteousness. Let me tell you a story about, about Jacob. It's my favorite character in the Bible. 
so he had this livestock. He was with his uncle Laban. And he made a deal with his uncle. He said, all of the, the sheep and goats that are spotted are mine. All the, the sheep and the goats that are, that are solid colored are yours. So he's like, okay, this is a good deal. So he went and he did something funny. He went and took a stick that had spots on it. And he put it in front of all of the strong goats and the strong sheep. All of them. So when those sheep had babies, all of them were spotted. That's a weird story. But there's a message. Remember, he placed it in front of all the sheep, the strong sheep, the strong goats, because their focus was on the spotted stick. And I think God was trying to send a message that says, what you focus on, you will become. What you focus on, you will reproduce in your life. So where's our focus? Where's our focus? Romans 6, 6 through 8. We know that our old self, this is so good, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For, the, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him. I love verse 6. He says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That means that in the Old Testament, the people were slaves to sin because they couldn't pay for it. They had to pay for it over and over and over and over again. They had to sacrifice animal after animal in the Old Testament. And they were slaves to their sin. But then Jesus came and he came and he said, you're dead to this. But this is so, this is so hard for us to comprehend because he says we're dead to it, but we still live in it. How does, where's the disconnect if he says we're dead to sin? And I think, I, I think there's a, there's a truth here that we need to focus on. Romans 6 verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is, what I, this is a point I think we need to make, that when he says we're dead to sin, he, it means that, that we're actually dying, we're actually burying sin focus. And we're actually living into Christ. He says, you are dead to sin. You are alive to Christ. And then in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We have to die to a sin-focused mentality. We have to die with, on, on focusing on all of our sins. And I'm not saying that, and don't get my message twisted. I'm not preaching a sin's okay, keep doing it message. It's not it. And we're going to get to that in a minute. What it means is that we are no longer, well, actually what it means is that Jesus paid for that stuff. 
says we've died to sin. Why would we live in it any longer? We've died to it. He paid for it. Why in the world would we keep living in sin when it's paid for? Why would we do it? But then there's the disconnect again. It's dead, but it's still so present. Where's our focus? Where's our focus? Romans 6, 17 through 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. We were slaves of sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. We know what it means to be a slave to sin, but do we know what it means to be a slave to this? What does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? Think about it. If we have our righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, then wouldn't it mean that we're a slave to the thinking that we live through Jesus Christ? We are slave to the idea that he is our Lord. We are slave to him. Slave to righteousness. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitation, limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sanctification is just a, a very fancy word for living holy lives on earth. Living in obedience to the word of God, living in obedience to God. That's what sanctification means. In verse 19, I want to focus on this. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. If we want to live holy lives, our focus has to be on our righteousness. It says it's the only way to live a holy life. A holy life is not defined by one that's absent of sin. A righteous life is not defined as one who doesn't sin. A righteous life is known by one who believes in Jesus Christ. So if we want to get rid of the sin in our lives... It tells us something. It tells us to focus on a fact that we're a slave to righteousness. It tells us not to focus on the fact that we have sin, but it tells us to focus on the fact that our sins were paid for. So we have areas in our life, we have times in our life that we have these, these sins that are just and they're in our lives. We've all been there where these things, whether it's lying, whether it's cheating, whether it's, whether it's uh, gossip, whether it's even small things, things that we do, white lies, and things that we do over and over again that, that just keep coming up in our life. Things that we know are wrong, but we continue to do anyways. And we can't seem to, to, to get a grip. We can't seem to, to overcome it. We can't seem to, to beat the sin. The sin's still alive. John 16, verse 7. We're going to go through, oh, before I go there, 
Has, any, has anyone ever felt bad for like doing something? Like you, like you go and you're laying in your bed and you're like, oh, how did my day go? And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I just feel so bad for that. Oh, why did I do that? Or you did, some, you did something and right after you're like, oh. like you're like, well, I did not want to do that. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. We all been there? How many of us have, have, have identified that, that feeling as Holy Spirit convicting us? Okay. I'm going to go through a verse here. And I'm, and I'm hoping to, to identify something, a focus here in our lives that's, that can be shifted a little bit to help us live a victorious life. John 16, 8 through 11. And we, when he comes, this is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus talking, by the way. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin. You okay with that? We felt that God's convicted us of sin. And of God's righteousness. What does it feel like to God, for God to convict us of righteousness? You see here, the first part, he will convict the world of sin. We're like, yep, sin, got that one. He will convict, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you of your righteousness. How many of us are like, what does that even mean? What is, oh, you see, Oh man, let's keep reading. And, and of the coming judgment, verse nine. He's talking about the world's sin, how he's gonna convict the world, why he's gonna convict the world's sin. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. You notice that sin is singular? It's not I'm going to convict the world of their sins, it's sin, singular. Interesting. Righteousness, verse 10, is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So what does it mean to be convicted of righteousness? What does it mean to be convicted of righteousness? We know what it means to be convicted of sin. Story. I'm going back to the beginning story. Remember the daycare, right? Remember the daycare? Yeah. The little kid who ran out? The little kid who ran out? And I, I want to tell you, I was able to get his attention, right? So he ran, I called his name, he turned around, but I was able to get his attention, but because he didn't understand, I couldn't change his direction. Is that Okay. I'm wondering something about this conviction of righteousness right now. I'm wondering is if God, Holy Spirit, has been trying to convict us of righteousness, but we don't understand, so we take it as something that it's not. I'm wondering if he's convicted us of righteousness, but the only thing we know is sin, so that we think he's convicting us of our sin all the time. But in reality, I think he's trying to say something. I think he's trying to say, you're better than that. I've made you for more than that. You're not that way. You're not that way. You're not that way. But the only voice that we know, the only thing that we know, the only thing that we understand is this. So we continue to go back to that. And we get stuck in that. And we feel bad and we feel shame and we feel guilt and we feel condemnation. But we play it off as it's something good when it's really not. It's destroying us. Is it really? 
that he might be convicting us of our righteousness. When we look in a mirror, what are we seeing? Because if we believe in Jesus Christ, we should be seeing righteousness. And if we see righteousness, the whole game is going to change. Because how can someone who's righteous do something that's, if I'm righteous, if he sees me as righteous, I'm going to be excited. I'm going to stand confidently before the throne because he sees me as pure. He sees me as clean. He sees me as holy. He sees me as something that I am. And even when I don't feel it, I have to be convicted of my righteousness. I have to be convicted of my righteousness. So just like the little boy, he didn't understand. I'm asking us, myself included, I'm preaching to myself tonight. Do we understand what the Holy Spirit is really trying to convict us of? He's not just trying to point out all the things that you've done wrong. He's called the comforter. (laughs) He's called the comforter. What I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that it gives us a free pass to continue in sin. It does not give us a free pass to continue doing what we're doing. I'm talking to people who are stuck in sin, who are sick of it. I'm not talking about people who want a free ride to heaven. I'm talking to people who are stuck in sin and who want to get rid of it. And what I'm saying is, is I'm saying is that we have to focus our attention on the right conviction. He's calling us into our true identity. He's calling us into who we truly are. He's not calling us to our dead man. He's calling us to our new man in Jesus Christ. read this verse this week. It's so good. First off, if you ever said some, something to someone and they took it the wrong way, I have, a quick, I have a quick piece of advice for you gentlemen tonight. Don't ever, ever, ever tell a woman she looks tired. Don't laugh. I know you mean well. Don't do it. It gets taken the wrong way. Every time. Don't do it. Sometimes I think we take God's voice the wrong way. I think he's trying to convict us of that when we're hearing this. We're taking it the wrong way. 1 John 3, 20 through 21, then I'm going to be done. For whenever our hearts condemn us, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. (laughs) Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Here's why. When our hearts condemn us, we feel so unworthy. When our hearts condemn us, we feel so shameful and condemned. When our hearts condemn us, we feel that we're so unworthy of God. But God says, he knows everything. 
And it says, but when your heart does not condemn you, when you realize that the conviction that you feel is not of sin, but it's of righteousness, it says you can stand confidently before God knowing who you are because you're clean. I'll read it one more time. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Do not define your state or your measure of holiness or righteousness based on the amount of sin in your life. Always base it on the fact that Jesus is within you. But... When we focus on righteousness, our sin that we're dealing with gets tagged along. Grace is not a free gift to sin. Grace is a free gift to become like Jesus. It's not a free gift to continue what we're doing. He's calling us to be someone who we're always created to be. He's calling us to be the person who we know we're supposed to be inside. It's already in all of us. We know who we're supposed to be. We know it in here. We gotta connect. Heart to head. I'm gonna leave you guys with this. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Is it behind me? Oh, I might not have added this one, darn it. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He made Jesus, who did not sin, become sin so that we, through him, can be righteous. Pray with me. God, I thank you, and I ask that you show us every single person tonight, and you convict us of, of our righteousness, God. You convict us. You highlight and you lead us into, into a focus of righteousness. You lead us into a focus of Jesus Christ. You lead us into a focus of who we truly, truly are. And I thank you, God, that sin is falling off people's lives right now, God. Habitual sin, addictions are falling off people's lives as we look to Jesus, as we look to him, as we look to the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, that Jesus' freedom will come to every single person in this place, that we would continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, fix our eyes on our righteousness, that we have right standing. We are so pleasing to you. You are so pleased with us. You never change your mind about us. And I thank you for how much you love us and how much of your grace is so evident in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.